You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode with Jonathan and Logan, I just want to give you a quick heads up. There's a little bit of feedback in the episode. Um, starts about halfway through and goes all the way to the end. Uh, Bar Chiquetti was being built out at the time and the air conditioning was making a little bit of a noise. So if you can look past that or listen past that, it's not that bad, but I just want to give you a quick heads up. Um, Jonathan is a fantastic person, really interesting. He's done a ton of concepts all across the world, you know, and traveled the world as a chef. And, and it's really, you know, we're lucky to have him in Oklahoma City. So uh, listen to the episode. It's a great episode. I know you'll learn a lot more about Jonathan and as always got Logan on Logan from Edible Excellence OKC on the pod to give us more insight into the food world because I'm terrible at it um, but yeah enjoy the podcast and uh, really appreciate it can't wait to hear your reviews of the podcast and the reviews about Bar Chiquetti. so look forward to seeing you next episode thanks what's going on guys welcome back to another episode of this is Oklahoma second episode of our food uh segment i guess we could call it uh my trusty co-host logan from edible excellence is with me today uh if you don't follow logan already go to edible excellence and prepare to get really hungry and want to go eat every food in oklahoma city um down at bar i'm gonna say it wrong again do you want to say it chiquetti chiquetti down no, at yeah, bar chiquetti with jonathan stranger thank you so much for having us yeah yeah this is awesome this is the first time actually sitting in a booth with other people yeah <laughs> yeah if you if you can hear we're probably sat on you know this kind of booth covered in paper and i uh, kept not covered in paper but covered in plastic so it doesn't get ruined uh you know still build out still going on right now and uh the guys working have been kind enough to give us 30 minutes um so yeah well, here we are knocking this out um so for those of people listening that don't know all the stuff that you've already done in Oklahoma City, do you want to rattle off some quick concepts you've already... Man, yeah, I guess I can... So I moved back here 10 years ago. I've been married nine. With my wife for nine. Better get that right. Um, so yeah, no, moved back. We started working on a farm. I actually had no intention of staying. It was just kind of a stopover in life. I had just gone to a drug and alcohol treatment in California and decided to take a break and started working on a farm here and, and saw an opportunity that I just kind of assumed being gone for so long that all that would have been here and just hadn't come yet, which is totally cool. And so just started, you know, um, open Ludovine and RJ with Russ. Um, yeah, I think eight, nine years ago. Moved on from that three years ago. We opened on Crute, St. Mark's, um, Osteria, we acquired Prairie Wolf Distillery two years ago, and then just just released Obahoshi Rum, um, which is made out of it's an inland style rum made from sorghum syrup from the Seminole Nation out in Wawoka. Uh ITU just opened up back in March, which is a wellness center providing like local food for hospital people, um, and then it's a wellness center as well. Um, we're expanding that already, and then uh, now Bar Chiquetti and a host of other the H and eighth and other things that I've committed myself to not understanding that there's only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> ton of stuff in the pipeline as well. Then. Yeah. A lot in the pipeline. Um, we're expanding out to Tulsa. Um, 
We're working some stuff um, with a great company called Santa Barbara Fish Market out of California to do some stuff here in Oklahoma. And there's always something in the works, you know, with business. It's just some, some things come, some things go. And you have the ones you're passionate about. And I've got a secret project that I've been working on now for about four years that's still probably another four to five years away, but it takes time <laughs> to build it. Because um, it's, you know, when you're developing hundreds of acres into something special, it takes time. Um, but I've been working with a great family or hopefully, fingers crossed, when this place, Chiquetti, opens. Um, the beef, we've been working uh, with the Berry family out in Arcadia. We're raising our own Akaushi all grass. That'll be the first time Akaushi's grass from birth to, to it's processed in the country. So um, doing a lot of stuff, but um, more than ever in life, it's about what, what I want to do as opposed to what I have to do, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like yeah. If, I mean, business is business, and I get it, and you do it to make money, but if it's not something we want to do and our hearts turn into it, I just don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, Mike and I actually met at Honkrut. Really? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. It's romantic in there. <laughs> oh, it is very <laughs> romantic. Yeah, spark, yeah, sparks flew, and, you know, it was, oh, yeah. it was champagne, a little yeah. cheese. Yeah, and I was like, was... do you have a podcast? No. Well, you're coming on mine, and we're starting to be Nice. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's funny how that happens. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you have three restaurants in Nickel Sills. Yeah. How did that come about exactly? I mean, it just kind of seems... It just kind of happened. It wasn't... So when we were coming up with Uncrude and trying to find a space, um, two of my partners live over there. Oh, okay. Um, Crosby and, and her partner, Robbie, and uh, Robbie I grew up with. Hmm. Um, and so they live over by there, and we knew the area, and I liked at the time that it was kind of... Defunct is probably a strong word for Nicholas Pause at the time, but there wasn't much going on. There was Under, turmoil with ownership. Under, underutilized. Yeah, underutilized. Yeah. There. That's much more. I would have said it was like, can I curse on this thing? Yeah. yeah, it was almost in the shitter. Like, yeah. Right. You know, but, you know, underutilized is good, but it's such a cool space. It's, I have this weird affinity for like old strip malls. I just mm -hmm. think they're like weird and I like them. And I like when, I like, I'm a big fan of juxtaposition. So like if something doesn't make sense, I want it to make Throw sense. Throw it in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it's perfect. Um, so that's kind of how Uncrude started. And then the rest of them just kind of be happenstance. Like St. Mark's, the person next door closed. We're like, well, what are we going to do with this little space? And we decided to do some kind of funky, shady steakhouse thing. And then <laughs> um, being in that area a lot, we've heard Starbucks was leaving. Mm -hmm. And Fabio and I were already working on, we'd already done a lot of work in Austria and we're, you know, almost opened the one in Tampa. And we're like, we need a location. And I heard from, you know, one of the people that runs, manages the plaza that Starbucks might be leaving. And I was like, I'll take it. And they're like, yeah, but we don't know the deal. I was like, no, it's fine. Like, <laughs> just because that corner, um, going, going to high school in the area, going to elementary school in the area, it was, um, you know, years ago, uh, Kurt and I think Chris Lauer had it as Ground Floor Cafe, which was awesome and a big hangout. Starbucks was obviously a neighborhood hangout. So that space has always kind of been that. And Osteria, it's a, you know, I mean, it's a word that basically can mean cafe or tavern, and it's a place where people hang out, and so it's like, that's perfect. And then we obviously modified it a little bit, increased the patio, and did some stuff to it, but it was just, that's kind of just how that happened. There wasn't really a plan. Yeah. I don't really, I've given up on goals. <laughs> I just feel like it, when you set a goal, you might set your down, yourself down a path in life that may not be the path you're supposed to be walking down, and it kind of blinds you to what else could be available in life. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with goals, but I'd rather see what life brings and then choose what feels like the best path as opposed to going, no, this is my goal, when everything in life is telling you, that's a horrible decision. And you're like, yeah. no, I wrote it down in like, my journal. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I have a vision board. It's on the board. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I put it on the whiteboard. I can yeah. do it. You know, yeah. so I just kind of let go of that stuff a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's just two I, friends of mine who have their own business, and and we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with them, and they they said like I said, well, you know, what's goals for the future? And like everything we have is on our vision board. And then you just have two types of people, right? You have, you know, yourself. You're just like, whatever comes to me, comes to me. I'm going to do my thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if if it's what I want to do, it's probably going to work. Yeah. Um, And then you have them. They're in, like, the boutique business, clothing space. And they just, like, they're like, we don't really have monetary goals, but we just, you know, oh, we want a car or want want a house in Florida or whatever it is. Like, it just seems to, because it's on the board, it magically just happens, right? But not like that. But, you know, they work towards it. Yeah, of course. Um, They use it as just a reminder. But it's kind of it's cool to see both sides of it, because mm-hmm. you know you're both very successful, definitely what you've done and in, in in your respective fields. Um, go back a little bit. What, what was early life like? Where kind of did you grow up? Were you Oklahoman? Yeah, born I grew, raised. Yeah, no, I grew up here. Um, my parents aren't from here. Um, I think like a lot of people, and I think my dad they settled here. I was born in '81, so they settled here in like '79, '80. Um, I guess we were '80 because my mom was pregnant with me. Um, oil and gas. Uh, my dad was an accountant for the IRS, got stuck here in Oklahoma, um, was doing law school, and was literally um, auditing some oil firm. And they were like, why don't you stop that and work for us? And so we kind of ended up here. Um, my mother is, my maternal family is East Coast, New York. My father's family, well now, almost everybody lives on the West Coast. So we spent a lot of our, um, my childhood, either out in Long Island or out in Oregon. And so it was a, I, I loved growing up here because it was fun at a farm, so it was just fr- I loved that freedom, mm-hmm. um, but also got to get a sense of like other places a lot. So when I turned when I turned eighteen, uh, I wasn't the best kid. I went to military school. Just <laughs> so when I <laughs> like, left military, were you sent to military school. Um, it was a negotiation that I lost. Is <laughs> 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 a good way of putting that. Um, yeah. I was I was never kicked out of a school. I was asked to leave. And after the last one, uh, it was military school. It's, yeah. Education was more about quantity for me as opposed to quality. <laughs> and, life uh, experience. Yeah, life experience. Yeah. yeah. Street smarts. But yeah. then, yeah, I, when I turned 18, I knew I wanted to go to New York, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So now I grew up here. Um, spent a lot of time with Chandler as a kid on a farm, and everywhere I've kind of placed myself, except New York City was usually small town kind of country stuff. And even now, we, you know, we live out by Arcadia, so. Yeah. Yeah. So is that kind of? I'm looking at a sheet that Logan has prepared for everybody that's listening to this because I'm not. I, well, I'm not good enough with these questions. Logan's done very well with. That's why I have Logan on this podcast. He knows a lot more about food than I do. I was not um, prepared enough last time, last and so I, I like to learn from my mistakes. Our last episode, I was like, "Hey, Logan, you have any more questions?" It's like a which you won't notice because I'll edit it out but there was a significant pause really. and then he comes up with a rock star question a real, so hum, very, a real hum humdinger well. if I do yeah, say so myself yeah. but um, no I'm going to read one of Logan's questions here which yeah, they're all Logan's questions but you know um, what got you into hospitality industry with like growing up on a farm and I guess seeing like how food is raised yeah it's, it's not that romantic like that no. was more like going kicking over looking for snakes and cat, cooking catfish I mean I do have memories as a kid like we used to always go out on like we'd get up like 5 a.m. on Saturday go to the farm and get catfish and do a big catfish fry and eat watermelon and all that and I loved it um, I still love doing that um, but it wasn't it wasn't the food necessarily that drove me to it it was more of the moment created by it Okay. If that makes sense. So, like, growing up, my grandmother is, on my father's side, is Italian. And so we would do these big holiday feasts, like most people, you know, yeah. you know do. But I just love that it brought everyone together. And 
when I was, I guess I was 15, I needed a job. So I was a busser at the Old Pearls. And then I eventually, like, I moved on to, like, City Bites and worked in the kitchen. And there was not, like, a plan. Right. I wasn't like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, it was more like, I need money. So that's why I did it. And then when I moved to New York for university, it was, like, really hard to get a job unless you had experience being a kid. And I knew kitchens. So yeah. that's kind of how I fell into it. And then when I started to work at Sean George, which is, at the time, it still is a Michelin three-star restaurant, that's when everything kind of the pageantry and the cuisine and the artistry like I really I was like whoa this is a whole different yeah. th- I'd been exposed to it a little bit here and there but it was a whole it was a whole different world but for me it's always actually reflected on this recently it's really been more about the moment that a restaurant or a dining experience or an event can create for somebody um, you know because I know that our restaurants I mean for some people it might be the best meal they've ever had hopefully we've accomplished that um, being that I'm a chef um, hopefully I've accomplished that for some people in my career um, I would it's definitely not the majority I would assume uh, but what's nice about it is trying to create that moment so our mantra is to create a positive moment in someone's day mm-hmm. um, the best meal I've ever had in my life was in a little town called Nochi in Italy and on that same trip, we ate at a Michelin three-star restaurant in Rome. It was good. I mean, it was great. It was crazy expensive, but it was cold and modern and, you know, it was, yeah. but the food was great. I mean, you know, service was great. But then a couple of days later, we were in this little town, like I said, Nochi, and I couldn't talk to the waiter. We were in, in an area called Puglia, the, you know, the heel of the boot. We couldn't communicate. They just started bringing food, and it was phenomenal. You know, it's this little town, stars were out. It was just one of those beautiful evenings. It was just me and my wife. Food-wise, it was one of the best meals I've had, but Mm -hmm. that moment was just perfect. And so trying to create perfection is impossible because we're human, but I'm a human, like a flawed human being, but at least we try to create the best moment we can for people. So food is a part of the moment. The service is part. The design is part of it, what you're hearing, feeling, smelling. So we really try to dial in those details and... I've now at this point in my career I have a lot of fun focusing on everything as it opposed to just be I mean a strong example you know when I was cooking in Ludovine it was more about here's what I'm going to do and you're here to see what I can do which was very ego driven cuisine you know and some was great some wasn't and I was younger and you know kind of I wasn't I wouldn't say I was a hothead but it was me yeah if that makes sense and that was my mindset and not saying it was wrong but it also wasn't right um, I mean, because we did achieve success with it, but now it's more about, okay, it's not about me. And I think having children changed that the most mm-hmm. and growing a family and all that. And so it's like, okay, how do we make your moment for you better? If you had a bad day, it's a little bit better. If you've had a great day, it's just a little more heightened for you. And so that's really kind of the focus now. And I think restaurants um, have the opportunity to do that. And now as we diversify our businesses, I still stay in the pocket of what I know because I'm not going to go and try to invest in cryptocurrency. I'll, I'll lose my ass. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> do I hold it? What is it? Is it an app? Like, I don't understand anything about it. So I'm not going to put myself and my investment into something I don't know. Yeah. But what we do is things where we know: can we create something that is going to give someone a positive moment or the potential? And that's so. That's kind of the focus these days. Yeah. 
That's fair. Uh, so Prairie Wolf. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm from Guthrie. It's my hometown. Uh, nice. I, actually, I met you for the first time about a year ago. In yep, sp- in the apartment. In the apartment, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, at, the, at the really drunken house party show. Yeah, where they were just like, here, drink all of the rum. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I said, yeah, yeah and, and Drew just kept giving it to me. Yeah. And I, I, do, you, do you like a cocktail or just a bottle? Uh, no, just just yeah. give it to me straight. And I just, that was, it was a hell mm-hmm. of a time. Um, so obviously, you know, Prairie Wolf was kind of a big deal in Guthrie because, mm-hmm. I mean, Opening a distillery in Guthrie, it, it, it was just kind of a random thing. Some, you know, was it a family, a couple of brothers, right? Yeah, it was the Merritt family. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a random thing. And of course, there weren't that many distilleries in Oklahoma, period. So it was they, were the, yeah, they were the first one. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Legitimate. Right, right. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are making booze. But uh, yeah, how did, how did that whole thing come about? Because it's you and Drew and one other person, right, that, that owned. Yeah, so it's. Um, uh, I kind of run the company part of it. Um, Drew's brother, Eric, mm. is the distiller. Um, he's one of those insanely smart people when he starts talking to you about the science of distilling. I just sit there and I'm like, I, I don't know four words in that last <laughs> sentence, but like, break it down. Um, and Drew, you know, kind of runs it. I mean, right now we're expanding out of state, so he's kind of like, as we're sitting here, he's in Seattle this week um, on the run out there. Um, but that all came about, uh, I read a book about I, I read a lot, so I love reading about um, like the history of food and the culture and anthropology about people and how it surrounds it. And this had this story of this inland-style rum, and I was just kind of captivated by it. And it was made with sorghum as opposed to molasses. And I've always cooked with barking water sorghum as long as I'd been in Oklahoma and found the product. And I knew we had it in the kitchen. And the next day, we were at the kitchen at Elm Crute, and I was like, hey, have you ever, you know, Drew's like, second level psalm and all these he's got all these letters after his name for beer and spirits and all that and i was like have you ever wanted to distill anything he's like yeah of course so i was like well i read the story and we've got this sorghum do you want to do it and he's like yeah I just bought a still on amazon which you can do by the way you can buy a five get- yeah you can buy anything on amazon um <laughs> that's good to know. so we bought yeah. a still um and we literally went to our friend's basement and started trying to make rum the first thing we ever distilled was coors original successfully distilled it's the worst thing you'll ever drink in your life. <laughs> uh, nothing against Coors OG, but like, do not distill it. Yeah. And then, so we just made it for fun and eventually got kind of better at it. And then we're still playing with it at this point. And I went on holiday um, out in California uh, with family and started making, just brought a bottle, which I had one at the time, and started making drinks for some people. And people were like, you should do something with this. So came back and I was like, what do you guys think? And, so then we had people we know try it in the industry, and they're like, you should try it. So we looked at what it would cost to open a distillery, and we're like, no. There's, I don't want, that's an insane amount of money for something we don't really know how to do. Yeah. Like, our distills, like, has duct tape on it, you know, in the basement. <laughs> so um, we talked to Hunter, who had Prey Wolf, and we're like, hey, are we right or wrong? Because we don't know what we're doing. And he's like, yep, you know, it's that expensive. And we're like, all right, that's the end of that. And he's like, but I'm in the process of selling Prey Wolf. I would love if you guys, you know, would have the ability to take it over because I know you would treat the brand right. And uh, we decided to walk down that path and we were able to acquire, you know, a successful business while we tried to figure out how to commercially make this rum. And that's really kind of how it all started. The rum released uh, last year. There's been a lot of trial and error because we've never done it before. You know, it's a different business model. Obviously, we know the buyer's end of it and what buyers like, but because we buy obviously a lot of liquor right. with the restaurants, but we got to figure it out. And um, we just did our Florida launch 
three weeks ago in Miami uh, with huge success. So, um, but it's, it's been a hard journey. I mean, you know, how do you go from a little pot still into a, you know, a 40 liter all copper still? Mm. Um, the answer is you hire somebody else. <laughs> That's what we did. With the time <laughs> and yeah, money. with the time yeah. and experience knows how to do something yeah. like that. And that happened to be Drew's brother, which was, was perfect. And he's done an exceptional job refining the spirit and making it what it is today. So yeah, it all started with uh, a quart of sorghum and a still from Amazon. And a dream. There wasn't even a dream. Like it was just like I hope we don't. I'm trying to write the script for your for your made for TV movie. Yeah, here. It's, yeah. It's 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 a lesson in failure and how to overcome sometimes. Yeah, would be the best way to write that script. Then that's one of the many things you just like. Oh, we'll just try this. Yeah, we want to do it. Let's try it. Yeah, and that's yeah. what cooking was for me forever. Is Let's just try this and see if it's any good. Did you always cook from a young age? No, no, not necessarily. I think my first, like, long time in a kitchen was with my grandmother. Um, what we'd always do is, you know, the adults would, after dinner, would retire and go, mm-hmm. you know, have their wine or drink and watch sports, whatever they did. And we, I would go in the kitchen with her and make candy. And that was kind of where it began. And then, I, I don't know, the, the kitchen is an intense place to, like, kind of live and work. But for me, it was always like everything sped up to how I thought. And then when, when a kitchen's clicking and everyone from the same point, it's just everyone, all minds and like energy is synced together. It's a really, really cool moment. And I just kind of fell in love with that moment, that adrenaline of it and the lifestyle, to be honest, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something I just really got into. And then in New York, as New York, I was cooking in New York City, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's like a romance there and it was super cool, you know. And this was, of course, the days before social media and all that, where, you know, when I wanted to learn how to do modern cuisine, you had to move restaurants. When I wanted to learn how to do butchery and charcuterie, you had to move to Europe. You know, you couldn't go online and be like, yeah. what is this guy doing? So you did move to Europe? Yeah, I lived in Germany. How was that? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah? Um, lived there for a year in a very little town called Winkeroden, outside of Munster, um, and just butchered. Yeah. And learned how to make sausage. And it wasn't, like, a good place necessarily but I learned a lot of technique it was my girlfriend at the time was German so it was actually I was living with her dad over in Germany perfect timing yeah so I'm, it's okay to work illegally <laughs> yeah of course it is <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is fine I'll be yeah. good I'll be good but no I loved it over there um, I did not know this is obviously came from ignorance that uh, German is spoken or Deutsch is spoken many different ways so I tried Rosetta Stone I got there the version I learned was worthless and it was more like they're like we just speak English and I was like oh great oh great yeah <laughs> this is going to be so much easier no but I loved it I mean anytime you can for myself I can only speak for myself is that I can get out of the tunnel yeah. you know or get out and try something new that's where like you know magic happens and you meet new people and get new ideas and yeah so it was a great experience you know is there a country that you'd like to go to work in or spend some time in that you haven't been to yet? Yeah, I've, top of my list right now is a friend of mine's got a restaurant uh, called Wolfgott down in South Africa on the wild coast that uh, I think he just got um, San Pellegrino's best off the map destination in the world and we met I think five years ago in Belgium and cooking together and he's just dude he's a monster like he's just so talented and he's cooking with stuff that's just right there. You know, I, I hate to use the comparison, and if you ever heard this, you'd be pissed, but of like Noma and stuff like that, but it's, he's using stuff that people were eating 10,000 years ago yeah. and modernizing it. So that would be a really great to cook experience, I think, to eat. 
I think any chef's passion is to eventually get to Asia and Southeast Asia, and I've never had the opportunity yet. And my brother-in-law is Japanese, so it's like he keeps asking me to go over, and I'm like, eventually I'm going to have to say yes. Yeah. But I just don't want to go for like a week. You know? You've got to go in English. Yeah, you gotta, like, you gotta, like, where am I going to go for like three weeks or a yeah. month? So hopefully, you know, in a couple of years I'll be able to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Bar Chiquetti is your second concept with restaurateur Fabio Vivani. How did that come about? I mean, he's from Florida, is that right? Or? Uh, he is from Florence. Florence. Mm-hmm. I was so close. I had the first You had the floor. floor. Yeah, yeah. 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 so yeah. close. <laughs> yeah, you had the floor right. Yeah. Um, that came about, um, we'd kind of known who, obviously, I mean, a lot of people know who Fabio is, and we kind of knew who each other were. And there was an opportunity set up in Norman um, by the Price School. But the, it was the Price School Business, hash, not hashtag, it's slash the School of Entrepreneurship there. Mm-hmm. And they've done some really cool shit down there at OU with that program. And they had him come in. I was invited to come down and uh, basically chat and sit in and hang out. And almost, literally almost didn't go. It was like cold. We just opened on crew. And I was like, I don't want to fucking go down there. Like, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, whatever, I'll just go down. So I went down there, and we just kind of started vibing, and uh, we, we got along great. He talked for a while, and where I was at that point in life and where he was, it was just one of those moments where I was like, I want to get to where this guy is. Like, not only his, I've worked with a lot of known chefs with people now, and there's like, I was at a kind of a changing point in my own life, and this guy could easily be like a dick. I mean, he could be, and everyone would be like, yeah, he's a celebrity chef, he's a dick. Yeah. And he was just the nicest, down-to-earth, like, straightforward shooting person. Totally vibed with him. Where he was in his life is a place that I want to get to. And we just kind of got to talking, and I had an idea I was working on at the time. He straight told me, he was like, that's a terrible decision. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair. Um, but we kept talking, and then we decided to do Osteria together, you know, and... That was kind of the best way to put it. That was kind of like like just the tip to see how it feels sort of situation with mm-hmm. each other. And do we want to do more together? And we're both chefs. And so we kind of hit it off and have that kind of same language. And here we are off and running. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. But, he, I mean, he's a great dude. He knows he, he truly knows how to run restaurants. I think that's why he's been so successful. I think he started working in restaurants when he was 11 in Italy so this is all he's ever done and he's been successful at it I mean not at 11 but since he's owned and operated restaurants and it, he's got one of those stories you know he was he's a it's almost like I don't want to put him in this paint him in the slight but it's almost like an Oliver Twist story you know he came over to the US not a lot of money and 10 years later what he's accomplished I mean you can't help to anybody who couldn't tip their hat off to the guy I, yeah it's shocking so you know we're sat, in, sat here right now the new concept mm-hmm. uh, which is the old Irvin Johnny's location right. which people listening would know that um, tell us a little bit about it before you know from, about Chiquetti yeah what's kind of the plan what you know obviously we're in the middle of the build out right now I can kind of see a little bit about it but obviously yeah we should be what's for, the vision yeah when we planned this I assumed we'd have like more furniture thankfully we have this one booth one that booth. we're in yeah it's all, um, we, all we need all we need you're right yeah so the idea behind this is actually we knew we had an opportunity to get the space, and we loved the space. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously wanted to change a little bit why it's, you know, why we're in like deep construction with it, but um, love the location, love Deep Deuce. I love the walkability and residential density that we have in Deep Deuce compared to other parts of downtown, yeah. and it's been cool like hanging out here. Um, and so when we, we serve a lot of our appetizers at Austria, Chiquetti style, 
and Fabio was going this whole diatribe of you know, it's Italian about Chiquetti this, Chiquetti that, and here's these plates and blah blah blah. And I was like, dude, that's it. Like that's the next one. Even though we already had like a, we were almost about to sign a lease and we didn't know what we were doing yet. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's it. Cause I, sometimes things just need, like I said in the beginning, they just need to come to you. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. So you know, Chiquetti style dining is a Venetian way of dining, which is like small plates. So people are familiar with tapas. I think that's the most popularized yeah. one. Um, you know, izakaya, yakitori, that's sort of, there's a version of that all over the world. And this just happens to be that version. Um, and so we're like, all right, let's work on that. But we knew, so far with the menu, we knew being in Oklahoma, we couldn't go like super deep into it. So we, obviously he's from Italy. I spent a lot of time in Italy. We got an opportunity to go over to Spain, kind of ate around Spain for a while. Um, and trying to figure out how we can take what's there and bring it here and then make it work for this populace. Mm-hmm. So the menu is, we'll call it heavy on appetizers, another word for small plates. And then we have bocadillos, which are these Spanish-style little sandwiches, somewhere between, like, it's kind of like a slider, but it's not a slider. It's like a panini, but it's not. It's its yeah. own thing, but they're great. Um, and then we have, you know, a burger, but it's our own, this, something that makes sense for this location. Um and then we, you know, we have salads, and we have kind of all the entrees. And then we have a lot of shared um, uh, entrees as well. So like different cooked meat plates and whole fish, um, a lot of seafood. We recently just got a great uh, partnership with Santa Barbara Fish Market from Santa Barbara Harbor, and so everything that we have to be featured from there. Mm-hmm. Behind you, um, mm-hmm. there's going to be a chalkboard. We're not there yet because you know stuff and, um, we'll build have all, process yeah so we'll have yeah. tons of like you know crudo and raw fish options crudo being the Italian kind of version of sashimi um, we're using a lot of, we're, we're now we're also bringing in um, we started a deal with a company in Spain where we're exporting or I guess importing our own olive oil and now and so we'll use a lot of that in these dishes but the whole idea what we want to do is build an urban restaurant there's a lot of great restaurants downtown some are urban some could be somewhere else and you know don't feel that way which is which is totally cool it's fine um so we wanted to just come in and be like we just want a great feel-good hangout spot that happens to have ridiculous cuisine um and so that's kind of what we've done with this place but as you can kind of see we're sitting in the downstairs the upstairs has more of a I don't like this terminology but I can never think of a better way to describe it it has a lounge feel to it mm-hmm. but a dining feel to it um so you can just kind of come if you just want to have cocktails and snacks like small plates you can if you want to do the whole dinner thing and big yeah. bottles of wine you can if you just want to sit at the bar and watch a game and eat a burger you can yeah. you know so it, it fits a lot of these needs and when we started talking to people in the neighborhood the one thing that people loved about Urban Johnny's was that it was a great place to watch sports they had a lot of TVs and so we tried to figure out a way to incorporate that to the neighborhood so you can see there's not a lot of TVs but instead we threw a 300 inch uh, theater screen with an insanely large and expensive uh, projector, yeah. which learned that in this process. Yeah. So that way you can turn it on into sports, turn it off. I just, I don't like, um, I don't watch a lot of television, but I don't like when you're in a place and you have TVs kind of visually yelling mm-hmm. at you. So you're like, how can we eliminate that, but also have that at the same time? So the AV was a lot of design and thankfully they did an amazing job with their build out. So actually all the wires were here. Yeah. Uh, Great. Pretty, yeah, it was great. I was like, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think being in like pubs and bars back home that just have one giant screen or TV, the atmosphere is so good on game day. Exactly. Like everyone's looking one direction. Dude, you know. Everyone it. goes nuts. Like just the view from the back of the room when someone scores or something happens, 
it's awesome. Exactly. Like yeah. I love. Why would like the big screen? Hey, it's it's cool because it's a yeah. big screen. There's no doubt. But what I love about it is the way we've opened this place up. Everyone's kind of been captured in that moment together. You know, yeah. whether it's World Cup or Thunder, obviously. Like it just brings everyone together. Like yeah, mm-hmm. you may not have the best view, but it's so damn big that it is. It kind of encompasses the energy of the room, and I love that. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's exactly what we were going for. Yeah, that's no, a really impressive space, and I really like that. There's there's a bar downstairs, and still the bar upstairs, and you, know, you have you know, cocktails in both bars, right? Yeah, cocktails. All all our beers are you know Oklahoma beers, obvious you know for obvious reasons. Um, wines focusing on Mediterranean cocktails kind of dance all over the place but we've also um, done a lot with spirit free drinks as well um, I've just spending time in California lately it's insane that spirit free drinks and alcoholic based drinks are 50-50 in sales I think a lot of that has yeah. to do with the legalization of you know cannabis out there which is you know it's here to some degree um, so focusing on that focusing on um, low proof cocktails so they don't just always knock you on your ass right you know? yeah. <laughs> and then then we got the big boys as well and some kind of fun cool ones as well very nice uh another one of logan's questions yeah um go ahead. favorite restaurant in okc other than any of your own Ooh. okay so there's lots of especially in the past five years there's a bunch of amazing restaurants yeah i have two kids at home so we cook a lot at home my wife mainly cooks at home because I'm cooking for other people. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm qualifying myself. The, a lot of like American cuisine, like stuff like that, I can just cook it at home. Right. So a lot of what we eat out is ethnic. So um, right now my two favorite places to eat, uh, Subaki Sushi, okay. which is on Memorial MacArthur, next to the Valero gas station. Known as gas station sushi. Known yeah. as gas station sushi. And if you're into food, you should know that means it's going to be amazing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, someone told me that. I was like, where is it? It's like right next to the gas station. And then we drove by, the, by it I on know. the turnpike. I was like, this gas station sushi. Dude, and that like, guy's got this incredible culinary like sushi background. Okay. I mean, from New York City and China, where he's from. Yeah. His name's Henry. Like, he's insanely talented. He's getting his fish from Hokkaido. Like, it's legit as can okay. be. And I asked him, like... I have questions. Yeah. I have so many questions. <laughs> and he doesn't speak the best English, so we've gotten a vibe over the past few years. And uh, they basically did a lot of research on because he was in New York City. He didn't want to just be another high-end sushi place in New York City. Uh-huh. And he was looking for some place that was growing where he could make an impact. And everything pointed to Oklahoma City. Great. And here he is. Yeah. So that place is amazing. And then Mana, which we spoke about, is uh, an Indian restaurant. And it's on even weirder location. Rockwell, just north of Northwest Expressway, behind the Whataburger, in a strip center, sandwiched between Christie's Toy Box and a vape shop. So between the porn shop and the vape shop, Perfect. there's this killer Indian restaurant. And I've told a lot of people about it. The service um, is slow. Yeah. Plan on waiting. It is an elderly woman and husband that do everything themselves. But the food is just oh, it's so good. spot on. Yeah. You know, it's like... It's, it's birani, which is spicy. And I'm like, uh, I need water. And I'm like, so I, no one's coming. So I go to the back and I was like, can I get water? And they're like, yeah, it's over there. It's like, word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, come uh, on in. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the definition, and I mean this in a loving way, of kind of a hole in the wall. Yeah. But the food is just fucking great. Like, yeah. it would be on par with anything that I've had in the UK. Like, it's yeah. so good. All the naan is made fresh. They don't prep anything. Like, we in our restaurants, we prep everything, you know, to make the service right. flow better. 
They don't. They, they don't care how long you're going to wait. Yeah. When you get stuff, they start chopping. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's funny that you said anything you've had in the UK, because if you're in the food space, you know that the UK has the best Indian food the in best. the world. Right? And, yeah. And every time I phenomenal. say that, everyone's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you'll find out one day. It doesn't, it's not as like elevated as what you can find in the UK. I mean, it's more Punjabi. So yeah. you have your Biranis, all their nons. They have a selection of nons, a lot of stews. Um, it's more... Yeah, it's Punjabi, so it's yeah, more yeah. like you know, pe- you know, peasant food. Yeah, but it's still like it's still so it's good. It's still phenomenal. Yeah, and now I'm hungry for Indian food. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, I know. So <laughs> but you said that like your wife does all the cooking back home, so you don't like to cook back home. Uh, no, I don't cook a lot at home. Yeah. I mean, I do when it's I can. Work for you, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like it'd be like being I don't know, I'm find a job. It'd be like being a I don't know, an accountant, and then going home and, like, working on books all night. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that I shit. It makes total sense. I, I, yeah. think, I think I've heard that from every chef that's been asked that well, question. Well, yeah. you get home late, you know? I no, mean, absolutely, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm not, I'm not having to be in the kitchens, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. Mm, yeah. um, I still work about the same, but now it's kind of a, a little bit of a different role that I'm, I'm learning how to adapt to. But, you know, I mean, she's a pretty good cook, and we have two kids, and they, you know, six and three, and... Late at 5.30 and service is just getting going. So she does a lot of the cooking and a lot of times at home I get leftovers. I've tried to, I was spoiled living in New York because you could get out of work at 1, 2 in the morning and have every cuisine available to you. Yeah. Um, you know, here it's mainly fast food. Um, and ever since we opened the wellness center, being around those people all the time, I was like, I can't eat this stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, now it's just a lot of go home snack or leftovers and things yeah. like that. So future projects anything you want to talk about i've i've heard rumors that there's going to be a prairie wolf tap room in the world yeah, yeah so that's true the prairie wolf tap room is 100 true um i i love guthrie oklahoma i love small towns and i think downtown guthrie is just sick i mean obviously it has challenges like most small towns in rural oklahoma um but especially as you know edmund development has broken that logan county line um i think more and more is coming to guthrie mm-hmm. uh it was Happenstance that the building right next door to us was for sale. Um, so hopefully we'll close on that this week. Um, and then part of that will be for distilling, barrel aging the rum, stuff like that, production. And then the front part of it will be the tap room. And we're not, my goal is not to just build a bar or build a, you can't really say tap room. It also sounds really weird because it's a distillery. It's not like a tap room makes sense if yeah. you're tapping kegs. That's yeah. true. That's what people understand. Yeah. And then like, yeah. oh, so it's a tasting room. Like, yeah, I mean, you can taste it. Like, it's there. Obviously, our product's there, but we're not going to just carry Prairie Wolf. Um, for me, so if you're familiar with restaurants, everyone knows Chez Panisse, which started in Berkeley back in the 70s. And what I loved about Chez Panisse is the moment it was created, that when it was just Alice Waters before Jeremiah Tower and all these great chefs just kind of showed up, um, it was this community space where people were, small bands were playing and People were having local art shows and farmers just dropped off stuff and you know then Farm to Table was born. And so that's what we want the tap room to be. We're putting in a small stage. Any local artist can play whenever they like. I mean, literally there's gonna be a board that just, you just write your name on the calendar. and like, yeah, it's yours tonight, just do your thing. But we're gonna yeah. provide all the power and everything they need to do it. Um, anybody who wants to show art. Um, we've got a wonderful woman um, who's gonna come on and kind of run it for us who's lived in, well, you were at her apartment, Lucy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. going to come help us do it. Dude, that girl's magic. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that woman. So, you know, we want it to be a community space. There's that front lawn of Prairie Wolf. Mm-hmm. 
lawn and air quotes um, <laughs> that we're going to blow out the side of that building and make it like more of like a public park than an actual patio so it won't be like closed off at any point in time okay because you know Redbrick Nights is right there right right so right, people right. can just chill in that space you know and we're not open people can chill in that space and hang out and just chill unfortunately the beautiful building across the street as we all know I don't like to think about it I know <laughs> it fucking burned down and then we get uh, 110 mile on our winds and now it's gone which yeah, is sad in, but insult to injury I know dude I was like seriously um yeah. But hopefully something will come along with that. But yeah, yeah we're just going to kind of, our plan is to stay in Guthrie and to continue to expand in Guthrie as much as we can. I mean, that's cool. The way we look at it is that Prairie Wolves is an opportunity to make a large economic impact in that downtown. And this project is the first of hopefully many to come. But I never like say anything that <laughs> isn't in stone yet. <laughs> sure, know? sure. Yeah. So that's the growth of Prairie Wolf plus the, the national growth of the products itself um, is going really, really well. I think we're in nine states now and by and the next year we'll be in them over 20 wow um, and that's all kind of the rum is what's yeah sure sure you know the specialty of the rum is what's really kind of guiding that growth and then austria um we'll be opening in austria and tulsa in the spring of next year as well oh, all right um yeah it's in downtown i love tulsa love tulsa um it's right next to the one oak field the ballpark mm-hmm. okay. the growing downtown area yeah. and it will be different than this one um, mainly because in eastern Oklahoma, you have very different farming than you do in western Oklahoma due to the microclimates out there and more water. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. That's kind yeah. of a given. Um, the train's different, higher altitude. So we'll work with those people a lot more to kind of guide that menu. It'll be a little bit of a bigger menu and, and locations twice the size. Oh, okay. Roughly. So it'll be a different Osteria. I don't really, I'm not really a plug yeah. and play type of person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to steal another one of Logan's questions and finish with this yeah, uh, some of the major achievements and accolades in your career as a restaurateur what is one that like really stands out for you it might not be like the most significant like as a restaurateur like kind of space but one that for you was like this was like a big thing for me I mean career wise I think the biggest accolade was a couple years ago I got invited to an event um, in a little town called Oosthuizen Oosthuizen I don't know how you say it East Oudhuizen. It was on the North Sea in Belgium. So it's north of Bruges. We'll go with that. Yeah. I can say that one. Assuming. It's in Belgium. It's in yeah. Belgium, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was called the best restaurant in the world for a day. And they uh, invited 40 chefs from around the world um, to throw down. And it was in a culinary event like I had never even seen. Yeah. Um, still to this day, like, I'm not sure why they invited me. There's probably <laughs> other people out there. Like, I don't know why they did either. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. They just asked. Um, and that was not only an eye-opening experience, but just to walk around with those chefs was like, what am I even doing here? And like, and seeing the dishes they were gonna do, and I was like, all right, I think I'm gonna be all right. And then I couldn't talk to anybody. Like, that was the other side. Like, everyone was from international countries. Obviously, people in Europe speak a lot more languages. Yeah. Um, and I could not. So it was really weird. You have these lines, the way they set it up was it was on this beach in the North Sea, it was gorgeous. And then you have, you know, the setup was insane with the kitchens. Like you had the most modern kitchen you could ever example while you're on, on the beach. Yeah. And so you have these huge lines and people are asking me in all different languages what I'm serving. And I was like, mm, there's a big board right there with my face on it and the dish <laughs> in like eight different languages. Please read that because I'm getting slammed. It was, I never seen, I mean, some a majority of them are Michelin three star chefs. The majority of them are in the top 50 in the world. And then uh, there was this kind of ragtag bunch of us, that one Kobus who I just mentioned, who obviously is 
become somewhat of an individual. Um, we just kind of grouped together and like helped each other out along the way and figured it out. And it was just, it was one of those things that was incredibly humbling. And I was like, whoa, like I made it to this point. Like that's yeah. incredible. And there's been a lot, but that was the one that like you could feel the most. What was interesting about um, back in the day at, at Ludivine was we got all these great accolades of the chef. You know, we got food and wine, best of chef, all this stuff. But um, I always thought, oh, that's going to be it. That's, you know, we're, that's going to be it. That's going to take cooking from 20 people on a Tuesday to cooking for sold out every night. And just people weren't just paying attention at that no time. No one cares. And no one cares. About and it. I was like, oh, man. And yeah. so, and of course, being young and egotistical, I didn't, I was like, well, what's wrong with these yeah, people? Yeah, of I was course. Like, I, you really don't know what you're doing, Jonathan, if you're honest. Like, yeah. you're just figuring this shit out. Um, that was probably the biggest within my own career, but... I mean, probably the most fun I have cooking is by far with my kids and getting them excited about it. My daughter, I think a couple of weeks ago, came up with a uh, her own recipe on how to make cake, which I'm not even a baker, so I can't even do that really well. And she like <laughs> sure, crushed it, it you know. Yeah. So that's probably the most fun I have. And now, to me, it's a point in my career where it's it's really fun showing these young guys in Oklahoma that have an opportunity to kind of cook this cuisine and these different style of dishes, and to show them that and mm-hmm. see them excel and the lights come on in their eyes I, for me that's more rewarding i think now than yeah my own cooking at this point but you know it's interesting to see where oklahoma city's come like what other people are doing is just awesome i mean the fact that you know gun is a kaya opened up jeff is murdering it in that kitchen mm-hmm. um, truly is and what he did uh bringing that into the paseo i was like man i don't know if it's gonna go and it's popping off like i love that that's happening that the dining demographic and it's not the whole demographic i mean oklahoma city right. is massive yeah with a huge cultural difference you know but you know it goes from like kind of metropolitan which is probably the smallest the urban you know mm-hmm. hit people it's probably one of the smallest demographics we have and it just gets rural as you go out so to see even those people now wanting to try new things and the success of them as a business which yeah. is means they're going to be here for a minute um is super super cool by far yeah but yeah i don't know i mean i think there's been a lot of great things that have happened and and they all have different meaning but that's not really the pursuit anymore it's the pursuit is going back to what i said earlier creating that moment for somebody and that moment may not get you know another james beer nomination but it's that person's gonna have a smile on their face and enjoy it and that means more than anything at this point yeah awesome well i want to say thanks you know for taking the time out to show us the space even though like i said it's not finished yet but just getting to see the space and and you know getting to listen to it you you talk us through you know your your experience and and the listeners obviously now know a lot more about you and about everything that you've done outside of the state and outside of the city so again like thanks for your time that's been really cool yeah thanks thanks for letting me do this guys it's just fun to do it and vibe for a little bit we'll definitely do it again i'm sure there's gonna be a couple more concepts that come up and then we'll do the we'll do the prairie uh Prairie Wolf one up there too. Mm. Let's do something yeah, like that. Yeah, when we get that open, we gotta go hang out. In there. Let's do I that. I have no idea what it's gonna look like. Yeah. But that storm hit and the the windows blew out, and I was like, oh, this. Oh, great. This is going. This is going. This is going so well. Yeah. So awesome. we'll see. Yeah. Well, this is gonna be really cool. I'm really excited to see what uh, Barch Getty looks like, and uh, just a few more weeks. Yeah, it's not gonna be long, right? Is it? September. Final inspections are in five days. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And by the time this goes out, it'll be open anyway. Oh, perfect. So. Yeah, you guys should come in. It's great. Everyone's loving it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, again, thanks so much. Uh, again, guys listening, if you're not following Logan on Edible Excellence, please follow Logan because he brings a lot more to the table than I do. 
especially his amazing questions. Uh, yeah, Jonathan, thanks again. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next week. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston, mixed by Alan Brown, with music by Chad Duro.